please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to the gospel according to St. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 to 3. Matthew 5, 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we are thankful for your word which you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us now. We pray that your Spirit would open our eyes that we would see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We ask that your Spirit would open our ears, that we would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, and hearing His voice, we would know Him and follow Him and offer our hearts to Him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Are you poor enough to have a kingdom. In 2013, my wife and I attended the annual Good Friday noon service at her home church in Columbia. Now, I've listened to a lot of sermons in my life, some great, some abominable, and all in between. But that particular day, Good Friday 2013, seemed to me to be a once in a lifetime experience. I've been in services where the Spirit was obviously working. I pray He always is, but sometimes it's more palpable. You can sense it more than others. But there was a heaviness, a weight and power in the message that day that exceeded anything I had ever witnessed. I thought to myself in that service, this is what it must have been like to hear George Whitfield preach in the open fields back in the great revival of the 1700s. But people weren't falling out in the aisles screaming like they did when old Jonathan Edwards preached in Northampton, Massachusetts. And and I wondered... Is it really that good, or is it just all in my head? After the service, when the congregation was filing out the doors, I wound up in line. There's several hundred folks there, and I happened to bump into an acquaintance of mine. 
from Columbia, and I, I said something to him like, that was some kind of good preaching, wasn't it? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, that kind of preaching makes me wish I wasn't saved. I said, what? He said, that preaching made me want to get saved today, but I already am saved. Then I knew it wasn't just me. There was a highly unusual work of God going on that day in that service in that sermon. Today, we begin a study through the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished preaching this sermon, we read at the end of Matthew chapter 7 that the people who heard him preach that day were astonished at what he said. Because he spoke as one who had authority. He had real power, not like one of their scribes or their teachers of that day. The, the teachers at that time, they liked to quote their favorite rabbis and their traditions. You see, they quoted the so-called authorities on the scripture. Jesus didn't quote the authorities. Like today, it seems to be very popular. There's certainly nothing wrong with it. He's a great man, had great insight. It, it's, it's, it's popular today to sprinkle in as many quotes from C.S. Lewis as you can come up with. Sound like you know what you're talking about. Preachers in Jesus' day like to sprinkle in their quotation from the great rabbis. Jesus, he didn't quote anybody except the Word of God. Jesus didn't need to appeal to some teacher as his authority. Jesus spoke as the supreme authority. When these folk heard Jesus Christ speak, they had heard the voice of God. And he began this sermon with what are known as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude means, basically means blessing. He begins with blessings. Pronounces people blessed. Blessed. And the first one is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the question this morning, are you poor enough to have a kingdom? Let's get to it. 
First in this passage, we see the meaning of blessing. The meaning of blessing. The first word of verse 3, blessed or blessed. Now that word has received a lot of attention. What does it mean really to be blessed? Some say it means happy. And that's not totally wrong. There's truth in it. Except in our time, happiness is such a shallow concept as to mean nothing. People break up their homes, traumatize their children. You ask them why and they say, I wasn't happy. Jesus is not giving us some psychobabble about how to feel good. True happiness, as God defines it, is not so much a feeling as a condition. It's a state of being. You know, son of Sermon on the Mount is not the only portion of Scripture that begins with a Beatitude, with the word blessed. The book of Psalms begins with a beatitude. We sang it a few minutes ago. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see... To be blessed is a way of life. It's not a feeling or not simply a feeling. It's a way of life. The blessed man does not follow the masses in wicked ways. He follows the word of the Lord. That's his way. The blessed man follows the Lord's way. Psalm 1 ends with this. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of sinners or the way of the wicked shall perish. To be blessed is to be in a way, to be moving in a path that is under the favor of God. Or what the 23rd Psalm calls being led in paths of righteousness. That's the point of the the benediction, Aaronic benediction. You all know the uh, original Aaronic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, the Lord... Make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you. That's basically a fancy way of saying, may the Lord smile on you. That's what it means to be blessed, to live under God's smile and approval, to be at peace with God. So it says the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's blessedness for the Lord to smile on you and for you to be at peace with him.
That's the meaning of blessing. Secondly, in this passage, we see the blessing of the kingdom. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, each of the Beatitudes, we'll see, has two components. First, the Beatitude has a condition of the blessing followed by an aspect of what it means to be blessed. Now, we don't always do it. We won't always do it this way, but today I want us to take it in reverse order. Let's look at the blessing and then we'll come to the condition for the blessing. The blessing here in this first beatitude is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the blessing. It's the kingdom of heaven. Now, now that has a future dimension. One day in the future, God's people will be with Him in heaven. That will be the ultimate blessing. To be with Him in His perfectly blessed presence. There we will be truly and ultimately happy and not in some shallow way that people define happiness now. Psalm 16 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We will know the fullness of joy eternal pleasures with God in heaven. But there's more than that. One of the things Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount that we pray every week and we'll get to, God willing, is thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The Lord Jesus is going to return. And Scripture, Revelation 19 says that out of His mouth will come a sharp sword with which He'll strike down the nations. And you know, a sword is frequently a symbol in the, of the Word of God. The sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth is the Word of God. He will dash them in pieces like smashing a clay pot and He'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. We must understand that the kingdom is not going to come on earth before Jesus returns. But he is a king. You realize if the whole world said, if the whole world held a convention and voted unanimously, we don't want Jesus to be king. We don't believe in Jesus. He is no king to us. It would not change the reality. He is still a king. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus told a parable and says he told this parable because his disciples thought the kingdom would appear immediately. Which it wouldn't. And Jesus said, 
a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. But while he had gone off to become king, it says Jesus said his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So he goes off to be made king. While he's gone, his people don't want him. They say, we won't have this king. And the NIV is not the best English translation. I'm going to be tacky and say it. But sometimes it really gets something good. And I love the way the NIV Bible renders Luke 19.15. It says, He was made king, however, and returned home. He left to become a king. While he was gone, they tried to ever overthrow him, but he was made king anyway. It didn't matter whether they wanted him or not. He was a king, and he came back. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat down on the throne. He was made king. Now the earth is full of people who say, we will not have this king to rule over us. But he will return having been made king anyway. You remember when Jesus stood trial before Pilate? Jesus did not say, I'm not a king. I don't have a kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. One day, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Until that day, His kingdom is not of this world. But His people belong to His kingdom now. Paul says in Colossians 1, 13, words we put in the bulletin today, that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated or conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son. We live in this world, but we belong to a kingdom that is not yet of this world. That's why John tells us not to be of the world. That's why Paul told the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is sometimes called the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. Now some have said that because Jesus is not here now, because our king is not here on this earth, that the Sermon on the Mount has no relevance to us today. Not until he returns. Folks, that is crazy talk. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is profitable. Every part of the Bible is profitable right now. If you want to interpret it literally, all Scripture is profitable now. 
Jesus' kingdom is not come on earth yet, but He is our King now. And He expects us to act like His subjects. And that includes following the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the point. In order to enjoy the blessedness of the kingdom of heaven for all eternity, we must belong to the kingdom now. If we are to live with our king in heaven, we must serve him as our king now on this earth. Or to put it another way, we will never get into heaven if heaven hasn't first gotten into us. Or to state it positively, for us to get into heaven later, heaven must get into us now. I was born two counties north of here. I've lived over 90% of my life in north of South Carolina in a county that somewhere the county line was the Catawba River. Now, for a three-year period, I was exiled to another state. For those three longest years of my life, I was out of Carolina. But Carolina was not out of me. I identified myself every minute of every day as a Carolinian. That's when I got in the habit of wearing neckties with palmetto trees and crescent moons on them. I preached 40 Sundays out of the year for three years in Mississippi with a South Carolina state flag tied around my neck for everybody to see. I used to say, it's hard to live 500 miles away from home. And if we're going to live in heaven one day, it must be our home now. If we are going to get into heaven one day, it must be in us now. We must love heaven even more than South Carolina. If we will be with Jesus in heaven forever, we must serve him as king now. That's the blessing of the kingdom. So we see the meaning of blessing. We see the blessing of the kingdom And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see the entrance to blessing or the entrance to the kingdom. Look at it one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now as we work through the Beatitudes, we'll see there's a logical arrangement to them. They build on each other. You can't walk before you can crawl. You can't learn trigonometry if you don't know one plus one equals two. And square one, the starting point to the blessed life, 
in the kingdom of heaven is to become poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor? It means you have no assets, nothing to your credit. To shuck it down, to be poor, means you don't have any money. So now, to be poor in spirit means that spiritually you have no assets, no spiritual capital, nothing to your credit. That's poor in spirit. Now let me tell you about a man who came to know what it meant to be poor in spirit. In the third chapter of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, if someone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, but whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, literally dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ. You see, there was a man named Saul, and Saul thought he was a good man. He thought he was a religious man, a righteous man. He was confident in himself. And then Saul met Jesus. And he realized in his own testimony, it was all dung. Those things which once were gained to me, I count as loss. The things that I once thought were to my credit, I now realize were to my discredit. He came to see what the prophet Isaiah had said, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now let me tell you what the Lord Jesus said to a church. A church at Laodicea. Jesus said, you say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the only way into the kingdom of heaven is mercy. To receive it as an undeserved gift. We have nothing. 
we bring nothing to the table. No righteousness, no merit. We haven't earned it. Jesus Christ earned His crown. He earned His kingdom by His work and He offers it freely to all who come empty-handed saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Let me tighten it up a little. I said we bring nothing to the table. We bring nothing positive to the table. We bring no assets to the table. There is one thing we bring to the table. A pile of dung. Paul says, I piled up all the good things I was so proud of. But before God, it was a pile of dung. It's all sin. That's what we bring to the table. And that's all we bring to the table. Jesus brings blood to wash away all our sin. He brings grace to cover our sin. He brings His Holy Spirit to give us the strength to turn from and fight the sin tooth and nail. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Just as I am poor, Wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come. Are you poor in spirit? Have you come to Jesus empty-handed? I have no plea but your blood shed for me. Take me and wash me and forgive me. Break me free of this world and make me a citizen of heaven, a subject of the kingdom of heaven and the King, Jesus Christ. You received Him? Have you been emptied of yourself, your self righteousness so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit who brings the kingdom of heaven into us now and will finally bring us into heaven. Have you become poor in spirit so that by the mercy of God you might become rich? Are you going to heaven? If you think it's about you being good enough to get in, 
it won't work. Only one who's poor in spirit, who has given up trying to earn his way in, can have the kingdom of heaven. He knows he can't do it. Jesus has done it all. You need to become poor in spirit. Now, trust and receive Jesus Christ alone. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me.